Welcome to Good Sex at NYU, a podcast about sex, relationships, health, and mental health in a sex-positive space. So if you're looking for sometimes serious, sometimes funny, and always sex-positive discussions, then you're in the right place. I'm Danielle Elliman, Associate Director of Sexual and Relationship Respect Services at Counseling and Wellness Services. I use she, her pronouns. And I am April Fellers, a nurse and sexual health educator at the Student Health Center. I also use she, her pronouns. We are two white, cisgender, heterosexual, female-identifying clinicians, one with a medical background and the other with mental health experience, who seek to create a space that is inclusive of all identities, backgrounds, and perspectives. Activation warning. The content of this podcast is about sex and relationships. The topics might be uncomfortable and awkward, but we hope that listeners will sit with this discomfort and consider new ideas and not judge others for their identities, likes, and desires. The intention is for the conversations to be positive, but at times we may talk about harms, boundaries that were violated, and trauma that has occurred, which can be difficult for some listeners. Take care of yourself. Listen to your body, and if needed, turn off the podcast and consider what your body and your mind needs to move through the reaction to difficult content. This could mean turning on a TV show, listening to music, calling a friend, going for a walk, or reaching out to the Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999 or Safe Horizons at 1-800-621-4673. Today's quickie topic is boundaries. So quickie definitions... Boundaries are the limits and rules we set for ourselves within relationships. A person with healthy boundaries can say no to others when they want to, but they are also comfortable opening themselves up to intimacy and close relationships. April, do you have personal object that you really cherish and that is precious to you? Maybe jewelry from family member, a t-shirt from your first concert, maybe even just your phone you know, that uh, really has like something, you know, special meaning in your life. Yeah, I actually have a necklace from my grandfather. He gave it to me for my high school graduation. And it feels even more meaningful since that trip when he came for my graduation was the last time I saw him before he passed away that summer. Wow, that that does sound really special. Um, And that's a great example of something that has a really, you know, special meaning. And what are the rules around that if, you know, someone wanted to borrow it, like your sister or someone who, you know, you would consider borrowing it? Who would that be? Yeah. I mean, I definitely wouldn't just lend it out willy nilly to anyone all, let the, me borrow at, it? At, all the time. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I'd make sure that they knew just how important it was to me. And like, this isn't just an everyday piece of jewelry. You know, I'd probably give it to them for a set period of time, mm. make sure they would promise to bring it back within that agreed upon date, keep it in its box when it's not being worn, you yeah. know, things like that to, to keep it safe. Yeah. Mine is a quilt that I got from my great aunt who passed away, oh gosh, several years ago. I only recently received uh, the quilt. Um, it was passed on through my aunt, but it has a lot of meaning to me. I didn't really have a grandmother uh, well, I had grandmothers, obviously, but like I didn't really know my grandmother on the side of the family. So she had kind of stepped in and was like my my grandmother on my paternal side. So I really love this quilt. And so, you know, if your, you know, necklace got broken or damaged um, or lost, like how would you feel? I mean, it would definitely be sad yeah. um, if it got lost or damaged. You know, obviously, I still have memories of my grandfather and can think of all the fun times we had and some yeah. photos. But, you know, the the necklace is a tangible reminder of him yeah. and the last time we spent together. So that is irreplaceable. 
Yeah, for sure. Like I'd be, I'd be pretty angry actually if someone, like I'm thinking spilled red wine or something on my quilt. Mm. I would just be really devastated. Um, or I don't know how it would get lost, but I'm sure there's a way, like if I were moving or something, you know, there's no way to recapture that quilt from my family's past. So I probably wouldn't let anyone sleep with it or borrow it. Um, I'm probably pretty rigid on some of those boundaries because it's kind of fragile. And so, you know, I would have a big problem <laughs> if someone damaged that. Um, and I just bring up these, you know, questions because oftentimes, you know, we have an easier time setting boundaries for material objects that we care about, while other types of boundaries, like we don't even think about at all. And so that means that if we're not thinking about them, then we have a hard time implementing any kind of boundary around them. Yeah. And when you're talking about other types of boundaries, are you referring to things like sexual, physical, and time as well as material? Exactly. You know, I think, you know, I would just add to that list that, you know, you shared digital, right? Like, you know, we all have like digital lives these days. And so what kind of digital boundaries, intellectual, emotional, and relationship to that list. And so, mm-hmm. you know, th- those digital things would be things like, is it okay to tag each other in a post or check-ins? Do we follow or friend other people in our lives, right? And, you know, when we post about relationships publicly, you know, when do we do that? And what are some of the expectations around communication um, when it comes to social media, right? And like, do we track each other for safety or have access to passwords? I think sometimes people um, have some, you know, difficulty, you know, really sort of conceptualizing intellectual boundaries. And really, this is just the respect for other ideas and awareness of like appropriate discussion. Like, you know, should we talk about the weather, politics or religion in the first five minutes of meeting? And, you know, a violation of this might be when someone just dismisses or belittles another person's thoughts or ideas or how they think and be- and believe. And emotional boundaries are really like involving separating your feelings from another person's feelings, right? And these kind of violations would be taking responsibility for another person's feelings or letting another person dictate your own feelings. It could be sacrificing your own needs to please another person. Um, let's see, another example might be blaming others for your problems and accepting responsibility for theirs. Yeah, I think those are, are really, it was really helpful to hear all of those definitions and think about the different types of boundaries. I want to go back a minute just to tracking each other. Mm. Do you think that's a sign of abuse and control? Well, you know, it depends on the person and the situation. For me personally, yes, <laughs> that would be too invasive. But I've heard a number of people, especially people that are younger than myself, that this is a safety measure that they have grown up with and use with friends and family members and partners. Like I've heard that, you know, folks have this rationale that this makes them in some ways feel safe. This part of their safety plan when they're like going out to a party or going out to the club. And, you know, in that case, like I can support that. I think we just need to be watching for when this might shift to unhealthy or abusive, right? So if someone is tracking you and asking you, like, why were you at this random place or tries to, you know, catch you for not being where you're supposed to be, um, or even shows up uninvited to a place that you are, just to confirm that you're there, then this is leaning into the abusive side of things. That makes sense. Yeah, I think I have heard friends, you know, especially with online dating being so popular now, yeah. you know, and you're going out and meeting potential strangers that, you know, it might be helpful for your your friend to to know where you are. Would relationship boundaries be the various types of relationships you're interested in having, like yeah. monogamous, polyamorous, ethical non-monogamy, open relationships, and relationship anarchy? 
Absolutely. Those are really, really important as far as like the relationship boundaries. I would just add that relationship boundaries can be like any rules or boundaries um, around relationships. And these could be deal breakers, you know, for, you know, relationships, or it could just be like, you know, more about like situational things with people in relationships, right? Like, have you ever seen the show Big Bang Theory? Um, I've seen a few episodes, but I didn't really watch it regularly. Okay. Well, I bring up this because I think it's kind of a funny example. And maybe some people will get this. But there's a character named Sheldon on the, the show Big Bang Theory, who is super smart and has lots of boundaries. And he sets up a roommate agreement with his longtime friend, and a relationship agreement with his girlfriend. And it's really kind of laughed about and eyes are a bit, you know, like they're rolling their eyes at this like quirky thing that he does. But in some ways, it kind of makes sense. And because he's talking about like these very specific things that he needs within the relationship. And maybe we don't all need to put down in like, you know, his is like a very thick, like multiple page and you have to sign it, and notarize it. You don't want to go that far. But I think like the, the point is that you're talking about the things that you need within the relationship. And it could be something like spending two nights a week with our partner and spending the other nights at home, right? Like on our own and doing our own thing. It might be taking turn visiting our extended families during the holidays. Or maybe we take one vacation a year by ourselves because we need that kind of separation, right? So I think like it can be a lot of different things. It's definitely monogamy and non-monogamous and poly and those things as well. But I think it's like all of the different nuances that you have within your relationship. Yeah. And I, I really like, you know, I don't think I'm to the extent of wanting a legally binding <laughs> no. contract, but I, I do, and I do think there's value in, in writing things down because then, um, you know, I'm sort of an out of sight, out of mind type <laughs> person. So if something's written down, yeah. it might be easier for me to remember and stick to it. And I also hadn't thought about some of those other boundaries that you just mentioned. I think that when I started learning about boundaries, I think it was in the terms of sexual relationships. And I've often just thought of like physical boundaries Mm -hmm. and really just from the perspective of like, this is what I'm okay with. These are the sexual acts that are off limits. And I like that you framed it as that we need it in our relationship of just here's my line and what I'm okay with and not okay with and don't cross that line. Mm -hmm. But also saying like what we want and what we need. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so many people haven't thought about it in, you know, the broader context and that they are really sort of thinking about it in sexual and physical ways. And I think that, you know, it's important to think about those two for sure. It's also important to think about, you know, what kind of boundaries these are. Like, are they porous? Are they rigid? Or are they, you know, on the healthier side? So, and when I talk about porous, I really just want to clarify that, you know, definition a porous boundary is where, you know, you don't have a lot of boundaries and you let other folks sort of shift and sort of navigate those boundaries. They might get pushed or moved by yourself or by others. And if you think about boundaries like a fence, a porous boundary like doesn't have a lot, has like a lot of holes in it, Mm -hmm. right? Because a lot's getting through. Whereas like a rigid boundary is, you know, having a lot of boundaries, Whereas like Sheldon character would have a lot of rigid boundaries and nothing is getting in, right? Like there's a whole wall where nothing can get through and the boundaries are really inflexible. And it's okay to have, you know, a few boundaries that, you know, maybe can be moved or flexible and maybe some that are really rigid. But overall, like we want to have healthy boundaries where like you can balance like what's important to you and, you know, maybe pushing yourself a little bit at times, but not allowing other people to move those for you, right? Like we want to be able to get close to people, but have some flexibility at times as well in our boundaries. Yeah, I think it helps to think about those different types. And I think for me, it it depends on the situation Mm. about 
the type of boundary that I have, you know, like I alluded before that, you know, I've always been aware of sexual boundaries and I used to have very rigid boundaries around Mm -hmm. sex, but I think I've moved to a more healthy place. Um, you know, and I never even thought about the other categories of boundaries till I was in my late twenties or early thirties and learning about these other boundaries later has made it more difficult to incorporate Mm -hmm. them into my life. And I feel like I have porous boundaries in some areas. Like I sometimes have have trouble saying no Mm -hmm. when people ask me to do things I don't really have time for. You know, I want to be seen as helpful and I don't want to let people down. But sometimes that results in me sacrificing taking care of some other aspect of my well-being Mm -hmm. to do a favor for someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are hard. They're (laughs) so hard. I feel like I average out to healthy, but there are definitely times I struggle with some boundaries and not with others. I'm usually able to identify it when a boundary has been crossed because I just feel it in my body. You know, specifically, I have a lot of stuff in my shoulders and in my stomach, like it just gets tense. You know, I can usually share, but not always. It kind of depends on the circumstance and the situation. Um, I'm really good at saying no to things, though, you know, especially things I don't want to do. But I also, you know, try to be open to new experiences that I haven't thought about before. You know, once I try them, then I can have a more informed opinion and can set that boundary, right? I really like that idea of linking new experiences to boundaries. I've never really thought about that before. Can you share an example of something like that in your life? Yeah, yeah. For example, I don't like peaches. I know it's a controversial thing, but it's a texture thing for me. You know, I haven't had a peach in, I want to say like, 40 years or something like that, not to age myself. Um, you know, so in a while, like, and if someone offered me a peach, I would just, you know, have a hard no. But, you know, if someone offered me a salad that they had made, maybe with some roasted peaches, then maybe I'd try it because I could pick the peaches out if they were terrible. Right. Um, so I wouldn't want to waste like a whole peach on myself or a whole meal, but I want to like, you know, reassess that boundary. This can also be true for sexual boundaries. You know, maybe I've heard about, you know, let's say anal sex and, you know, folks have tried it before, but, you know, maybe it was painful for me and, you know, I don't want to try it again. But, you know, maybe if someone was like, you know, approaching in a different way, like maybe to lead up to anal sex, like maybe it was a finger or a toy and lube, maybe I'd consider shifting that boundary because like, you know, anal sex, you know, with a penis maybe might be more difficult for for me or for some, right? And so it's like, well, maybe if we warm up to this, I could shift that boundary, but only because I'm curious, not because like I'm getting that sort of pressure from, you know, whatever partner I'm engaged with, right? Um, So I'd be willing to sort of be open to that. And if I tried that and then it was like, yeah, no, that's still still not something I'm, I'm into, I could like determine, nope, I don't need to do that at all. You know, and so I'm sort of pushing it a little bit, but also sort of maintaining my, my overall boundaries. That's a great example. And I think really important that you clarified that you're the one leading the kind of the exploration and, and deciding whether you want to change your boundary and not because somebody else is pressuring you to do that. Obviously, boundaries can depend on the environment, but also power structures as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can have great boundaries with our friends and maybe partners, but really struggle with them when it comes to our family or bosses. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Boundaries are hard. And having them crossed continuously can, you know, bring down our self-esteem, you know, can make us feel used. You know, it can cause anxiety because we don't have control over things in our life, right? For me, like knowing my boundaries and setting them are easier than implementing them, right? Um, I can like make these grand plans, but like going to like actually put that forward and having them actually implemented, 
very different sometimes. I mean, implementing that means following through with the consequences. Right. Same. The implementation is the hardest part for me. (laughs) You know, because implementing boundaries can often result in other people being upset or disappointed that you've actually drawn this boundary. Mm -hmm. And that's uncomfortable, too. You know, I I sometimes struggle with being a people pleaser and think that my historical struggle with boundaries is that I don't want anyone to be upset with me. Mm -hmm. But writer and activist Glennon Doyle said in a podcast about boundaries that you can either disappoint other people or disappoint Mm -hmm. yourself. And that has really stuck with me. Yeah. Danielle, what are your tips for implementing the no? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, our boundaries are really shaped by our culture, our past experiences and our values. So I think first we need to identify our desired boundaries, right? Like that's, that's the first step. What are our boundaries? You know, at times, like we know what we want and need right away. And then other times, like it takes experimenting with what feels right and what is wrong for us. You know, it can be helpful to listen to our bodies when it comes to any kind of experimentation um, and to do this in a safe way. This could be experimenting with, you know, how much time we spend with friends or it could be a sexual boundary. You know, so we need to do this with folks that we trust and listen to our body. Often our body reacts to a boundary being crossed before our thoughts and emotions sort of catch up. The next step would be communicating our boundaries and to say what you need and, you know, to keep it simple. You know, I, I tell this all the time to a lot of the, the people that I, I'm friends with or that I'm working with in a professional sense. Saying no is a complete sentence. There are people who feel like they have to explain why to make the no okay for the person hearing it. But that's not required. We need to set and share the consequences of those boundaries um, if they're not honored. You know, the implementation of consequences is so complicated. Um, it's difficult at times, you know, especially when, you know, the person that, you know, we're setting this boundary with is trying to push the boundary or maybe has some kind of power and control over us, like a parent or a guardian or intimate partner or even a boss. A quote I use all the time when it comes to boundaries is, your no makes way for your yes. Boundaries create the container within which your yes is authentic. Being able to say no makes yes a choice. And this is from Adreen Marie Brown from Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. I really love that. And kind of like what I was saying before, if I if I don't say no to something and giving up on something that I could be doing for myself, that's preventing that yes from, from coming. So I really like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think something you said earlier, I just want to bring back to you. I think there are a lot of people who struggle with saying no because of, you know, wanting to people please. And that's really common. And I think sometimes it's even gendered, right? That like, you know, certain gender identities are supposed to like make everything okay and make things, you know, good for everyone else. And so we're, you know, sort of taught that say yes, because you'll be likable. And I think like I struggle with that myself as well. So just wanted to, to name that because I think that's really important. But I think also, you know, additional barriers to setting up boundaries our fear of rejection and abandonment. You know, I think sometimes people don't want to have the confrontation with someone, you know, saying no can feel like confrontation. They might also feel guilty for, you know, not being able to give the person what they want and then not truly understanding our own boundaries and not following through those consequences of our boundaries. As we mentioned earlier, safety would be another barrier to implementation. Like if it's not safe, like there might be emotional, physical, financial repercussions. If you do say no, like that's definitely something to, to be you know, aware of and you know, so how, how you're feeling and processing that. So not following through with our boundaries and being 
consistent with them is unstable. And that gives rise to people in our lives feeling like, you know, they can get us to change our minds um, on this, right? So consistency helps to breed stability and healthy boundaries and negotiations, right? So if someone thinks of you as someone who's constantly going to like move and shift their boundaries, then they're going to try to move and shift your boundaries. But, you know, if they know, oh, no, like, you know, when April says no, like she really means it and it's not personal, then like that's something that like they can really sort of take in a little bit better. So some of what you just said, though, is really hard, Mm -hmm. right? Like nobody wants to be alone. So fear of rejection and abandonment, that's really difficult to to overcome. So how do you begin that process? Yeah, I know. It's much easier just to say than it is to actually, (laughs) you know, do. And I like to say that like the first step is awareness. Like just knowing all these things is, is helpful. When we're aware of, you know, what we're doing, then we can start to understand how we came to this and hopefully shift our behavior. Maybe we have had a history of feeling rejected and abandoned, and we might want to talk to a therapist, right? Perhaps we don't feel like we are worthy of love, and we have to work on that through therapy or, you know, learning how to love ourselves. There isn't one formula for, you know, how to overcome some of those fears of rejection and abandonment. I wish that I you know, had a magic wand um, and I could, you know, help people with that, like just instantly. But, you know, it really does take a little bit of insight and, and you know, sometimes work with a therapist or, um, you know, some internal, you know, processing that can happen. You know, knowing that, you know, there isn't necessarily um, a quick fix, but, you know, it can also be really a self-soothing strategy, right? Like, you know, you can, you know, talk yourself into things or out of things or remind yourself of things as you're doing them, like sort of reminding yourself that you're loved, reminding yourself that like, this is something that, you know, is normal, can be, you know, a good place to start. So knowing this doesn't necessarily fix it, but, you know, it can be self-soothing strategy if someone does decide that your boundary is not going to work for them. Right. Like it can be helpful to, you know, depersonalize their reaction. You know, their no to you leave space for, you know, someone who will see you and be able to accept your boundaries or like their no is is about them and it's not about you. I think that's a good point, too, in terms of, you know, just in the same way that you can set boundaries, other people have the right to set boundaries. And, you know, and and if you don't want people to feel offended when you <laughs> say no, then I think it's good to realize that, you know, somebody else setting a boundary is not personal. You shouldn't necessarily feel offended then when they set their boundaries, you know, and if we're all honest about our boundaries and saying what we need, then that helps us to figure out, is this a good relationship for me? Is this not? Whether mm-hmm. that's intimate relationships, family relationships, yeah. work, like all of those things. If everybody's just honest and says what they want and need, then it would be so much greater. <laughs> yeah, I like that honesty, right? Like I think first you have to be honest with yourself and then hopefully honest with others. But it really does start with you. I think like honest with like, what do I want? What do I need? And how can I communicate that in a way that isn't harmful, but also that is authentic to what what I truly need. And I think that's really important. Yeah. What about navigating and implementing boundaries when someone is trying to push it? Mm. Yeah. So I, I mean, I want to just sort of name that we ha- will have a, an episode on communication. And so check that out, because I think these two topics of, you know, good, healthy communication and boundaries are really interconnected. And so we've split them up a little bit, but wanted to just name that, like, you know, check out that episode as well. And I think when it comes to implementing a boundary when someone is pushing it, like we really want to think about our I statements. It's really hard because I don't think that we are taught how to do this. I know it, it still feels slightly uncomfortable to me to use I statements, especially when I'm in the midst of having to do something difficult or uncomfortable. 
So an I statement is something like, I feel that we are approaching a boundary for me, and I'd really like to hold to that boundary. If that doesn't work for you, then, you know, I'm, I'm happy to leave, or we can chat more about our boundaries um, and come up with something that works for both of us, right? So that would be an example, you know, but part of the challenge of setting and implementing our boundaries is that we typically want those folks to like or love us, right? So we don't want them, you know, to take our boundaries personally, but we don't have control over those things, right? Like we can say, this is about me and what I need in this moment. And it may sound selfish, but I can't be present for someone else right now. It's okay to put our needs ahead of others. And that's hard and complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's important. Being selfish has such a negative connotation to it. And always acting with only ourselves in mind is negative. We don't want to be doing that. But like, if you're putting yourself first, sometimes like that's needed, you know, not going out to a party, not going to a family event, or not responding to an email after work hours, does not seriously harm the people in our lives. And these are things that they can manage, you know, like a lot of boundary setting has to do with our own internal narrative that we tell ourselves, you know, being able to self-validate and just sort of reminding ourselves that we're not asking for too much or that it's okay to have needs is hard part of this process. You know, like we have negative ideology that being needy is bad and that we seek to avoid this, but we all have needs and it's helpful to express those. Yeah. There's so much internal dialogue happening in our head all the time which can impact our behavior for the positive, or it can also create challenges. Mm -hmm. Is this part of the internalized oppression that we were talking about before in our previous conversation about primary prevention? Definitely. The internal dialogue that we tell ourselves can be part of the oppressive ideologies that come from society, institutions, or our interpersonal relationships. Right. So the example of being too needy is uh, commonly not always associated with people who identify as women, and is seen as negative, right? Like there are a number of other traits associated with different gender identities that are seen as positive or negative. And when we fall inside or outside of these stereotypes, then, you know, we might try to pretend that we don't. Also for clarity, gender identity means, you know, one's innermost concept of self as male, female, a blend of both or neither, you know, how an individual perceives themselves and what they call themselves, right? So one's gender identity can be the same or different from their sex, with sex here meaning the biological characteristics of humans that are primarily associated with physical or physiological features, including chromosomes, gene expression, hormone levels, and functions, um, and reproductive sexual anatomy. That's according to the Canadian Institute of Health Research. Yeah, I, I do remember hearing that growing up about being too needy and didn't want to be seen as needy or too emotional myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes why I have a hard time communicating my needs. I've also seen and heard of male presenting people being bullied, harassed, or physically harmed if they show any personality traits Mm. that are associated with women. Absolutely. Um, It's important to acknowledge these oppressive beliefs that we have internalized. Uh, So that way we don't harm ourselves or those we're in relationship with or anyone, really. If a person who identifies as a woman has needs and believes that, Um, This is needy, and that's a bad thing. So they may try to be super easygoing, but judges others who express their needs. They could internalize that, and that becomes internalized oppression. And then they externalize that within their relationships, and that becomes interpersonal oppression, right? So the needy characteristic is often seen as negative, 
for all gender identities. But in reality, we all have needs. It's normal as humans to have needs like we need to eat, sleep, have connection. We are all needy and that's okay. I wish somebody had told me that when I was younger. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So how does this impact our ability to set boundaries? It's helpful to always be aware of how these norms influence our behaviors. Are we performing our gender because that is what we think we should do? Because it's the safest thing in the moment or because we generally want to hold these boundaries? Yeah. Implementing boundaries also has a lot to do with feeling safe with the person you're sharing them with and trusting that they they won't keep pushing them Mm. after you set them. Yeah, that's true. Safety and trust don't always happen quickly. Like if you're seeking an exclusive partner, then this might take a few weeks or months to feel safe and vulnerable. Uh, The timeframe is really up to you and and varies. When we're looking for a hookup, um, then this can be a bit you know, more difficult. And the time frame is going to be, you know, a lot shorter, right? But you have to trust your gut and listen to what the other person says and does. You know, for instance, do they listen when I talk? Are they respectful of my personal space? Are they asking for consent up front? And are they willing to talk about sex in advance of having it? You know, if we talk about condom use before we leave the bar and they're pushing my boundaries about it there, then does this feel like someone who will push my boundaries and others once maybe the sex starts? You know, just because someone listens to and agrees with our boundaries at the bar doesn't mean that they will, you know, necessarily do that in the bedroom or ever, wherever we're engaging in sex. But, you know, it's so hard to tell sometimes in a hookup. And so we have limited experience with that person. And so we, we're sort of assessing in those moments um, our interactions prior to actually engaging in any kind of sex. Yeah, I think that's a good point of doing it, doing it, meaning having the conversation about boundaries <laughs> yeah, yeah. ahead of the the sexual acts. And, you know, I, I think it is important, though, to to continue those conversations mm-hmm. throughout yeah. the sexual encounter. So how, how would you kind of talk about that, you know, rather than like thinking, oh, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to ruin the mood or, you know, and so maybe a boundary gets crossed unnecessarily because somebody just doesn't speak up. But how how do you have that conversation naturally, like in the moment without ruining the mood? Those are normal instincts, you know, based on culture. Um, But, you know, it's a false narrative that, you know, I think romantic novels, movies, TV, and even porn have, you know, shaped us all. You know, we talk about this in our episode about sexual communication. TV, movies, porn all have scripts, you know, they work from, you know, they can negotiate various scenes. And a lot of them have intimacy coaches to help them feel comfortable and safe in such vulnerable situations. We have to be our own intimacy coach and negotiator. If I know that I don't want to have anal sex or I don't like my inner thigh to be touched, then this is normal and okay. Sharing this means someone might have better sex and feel safer during that interaction, right? Like our partners might forget specific boundaries if this is the first time that we're engaging in sex with them. Um, So it can be helpful to remind them in the moment as well, you know, but if they keep forgetting, then they aren't really listening and they don't really want to honor our boundaries. You know, I encourage folks, you know, really to listen to our episode on sexual communication as well. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, obviously it's in the moment important to remind somebody about boundaries that you've discussed, but I actually feel like waiting to talk about boundaries at all until you're engaging in sexual behaviors that might actually kill the mood more mm. than having conversations ahead of time, right? Mm-hmm. If you wait till the moment, then there could be some stopping and starting as unknown boundaries are getting crossed. And, you know, everybody's on the same, can be on the same page ahead of time if you mm-hmm. have that conversation 
ahead of time. And, and then you can feel like you can enjoy the experience instead of being on guard for your boundaries being crossed. You know, if you have a boundary that isn't communicated ahead of time, it might be easier in the moment to let your boundary be violated. So it, if, you know, it's better to just kind of have that conversation ahead of time. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, if we expect others to respect our boundaries and, you know, we have to practice them with other people in our lives, right? And like, we need to respect that everyone has boundaries. And if we're talking about it, um, I like to say, you know, you need to talk about sex, you know, before, during and after. And so if you're having that conversation before, there's like, you know, an, an in way when you're having it, right? Mm-hmm. And after is really sort of thinking about like, what went well? What could I shift? Um, and so really sort of thinking about all of that. But like, we do need to listen, you know, to what our partners want. And, you know, not just listen, but like watch for nonverbal cues, you know, because they, you know, might be saying one thing, they might say yes, and have a pained look on their face. So you really want to check in, like, I hear you saying yes, but I'm a little curious what's, what's going on with your face or what your face is saying. You know, folks can avoid eye contact, back up, or, you know, really sort of limit their responses in a conversation. You know, maybe they're even excessively nodding or have a sudden shift in their voice, nervous laughter, increase in speech, folding of arms, flinching. Like these are all sort of examples that we need to also be listening to, right? Like we don't hear all of these things, but we're listening for the verbal and the nonverbal um, as to, you know, whether or not someone really is enjoying this or engaged in, in this, um, or if a boundary might be being crossed. Also recognizing what typical behavior is for the person we're with, you know, as we want to be inclusive of, you know, neurodiverse behaviors. Many folks might have a, an expression that, you know, looks pained, or might always nod, right? But if this behavior is normal for them, then that's great. But if it's different from how they normally um, express themselves, then that's where we need to be paying attention and sort of asking follow-up questions or being curious about, right? So you want to check in and say something like, hey, I just want to check in. I noticed whatever you noticed. Um, and I, you know, if you don't want to you know, do this, then that's okay with me, right? And this could be going to a concert. It could be grabbing food, working out a project together, or it could be in the context of sex. Those are good examples. You know, this is more than than just about sex, but talking about boundaries in, in general. So, you know, I find that conversations about sex and any boundaries can be awkward, but that the awkwardness doesn't last that long. And it can really be thoughtful. And, yeah, you know, that's the awkwardness is worth it, right? And, mm-hmm. and an awkward conversation can lead to better relationships and good sex. That should be our motto, along with good sex. Um, you know, we need to try to be clear and concise with our boundaries. Like, this can be hard when we don't know what we want or how we feel. But, I mean, this can be a great time, um, you know, to take a break and tune into our bodies and process, is this something that I really want? Or is this something that, you know, I'm willing to move my boundary for? Or no? Does it violate my values, my needs, or is there some room for negotiation? That's definitely easier said than done. Mm. I'm glad that we talked about boundaries, just not just around sex, but in all aspects of yeah. our lives, because it helps us practice them in smaller ways before doing them on a scale that has bigger impact, like telling our moms no. Yeah. It also has implications for so many other topics that we're going to be exploring in this podcast. Yeah, I agree. It's so hard to do. Um, Brene Brown, social work researcher who studies vulnerability and shame, says empathy if you've done your work and set boundaries, means that you can tread water forever and it gives back to you. Empathy minus boundary is not empathy. 
compassion minus boundaries is not genuine. And vulnerability without boundaries is not being vulnerable. And boundaries are freaking important. We have to have boundaries to take care of ourselves so we can continue to give to others. You know, it's like that airplane graphic where, you know, the parents are advised to put, you know, their oxygen mask on before helping their child. You have to like take care of yourself first. And I could keep talking about this for probably an, another hour or two. And I know that this topic of boundaries will keep popping up in our conversations. If you have questions about the podcast or anything we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to us at goodsex.podcast at nyu.edu. This email address is monitored during business hours. It may take three to four days for follow-up. We are definitely open to critical and thoughtful feedback. As we didn't cover everything in this episode and might have said something that was inaccurate or that had a negative impact on someone. If you have questions about your sexual health and are an NYU student, you can connect with our Student Health Center sex expert at sexpert at nyu.edu or schedule an appointment through the Student Health Center portal. Look at our show notes for additional information and resources, including organizations, articles, books, and videos. If you have urgent mental health concerns, safety issues, or you are worried that someone might have caused harm to you or that you might have caused harm to someone, then you can contact NYU's Confidential Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999. Chat with them using their mobile app or email them at wellness.exchange at nyu.edu. For anyone, NYU or non-NYU listeners, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. The National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Or the National Mental Health Hotline. Simply dial 988 from anywhere in the U.S. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode where we continue to talk about good sex at NYU. Subscribe to the podcast to hear all of our quickies and interviews with NYU community members. Thanks to our content contributors for this episode, Bernadette Kerr, Alyssa LaFosse, Dr. Dominic Baini-Emisa, Zoe Raguzios, and to our health promotion team, Anna Genova, Jenny Mellum, Parade Stone, and Arna Dixit, and to Gotham Studios and Karen Ortman. 